you are listening to The Wellness Project. I'm your host, Des, and this is episode number 111. On today's episode, I speak with Erin Wall about her struggles with her mental health. She has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder as well as schizophrenia. She's going to share her story with us about her mental health journey as well as the steps that she took to heal and what she's doing now that works for her to help improve her mental health. I do want to give a bit of a trigger warning here for suicidal ideation. Help me welcome Erin. Hi, Erin. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Hi, Desiree. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So if you could get us started with introducing yourself to myself and our audience here today and letting us know your journey with your mental health. Okay. Well, I'll just do a little overview because, I mean, it's a lot, but uh, my name is Erin Wall. I wrote a book. It's called Finding Success After Failure, How Psychosis Made Me and Did Not Break Me. So five years ago Mm. on October 31st, I got out of the hospital for the second time. I was in and out of the mental hospital for two months. I was in psychosis. Psychosis is basically an elongated panic attack, but it includes schizophrenia. So I was hyper scared. I was hallucinating. I was seeing things. Um, I thought about suicide for a few times. So it just wasn't a very fun time in my life. And now five years later, I'm not even medicated. I self-regulate and I'm on as-needed medication. I have a bipolar diagnosis. So I'm bipolar and I handle my mood swings and it's great. And I haven't had a relapse or I haven't been close to a relapse since October 31st, 2017. Oh, wow. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And at what age did you start noticing that you were struggling with your mental health or having different symptoms when it came to your mental health? I think it was off and on probably my entire life, but definitely early 20s, 20 to 23, because I was 23 when I went into psychosis. Uh, I think I probably always had bipolar tendencies, but I never knew I was bipolar until after I went into psychosis. Okay. And yeah, that must have been very, very scary. Um, So prior to that psychosis, you didn't have any sort of diagnosis at all? Well, I did. So interesting fact, I actually talk about this in my book in a fact section, but it's very common in young women, like six years old children to be diagnosed ADHD when actually they're bipolar. So I was actually part of that statistic. When I was younger, I was diagnosed ADHD. But it was interesting because people who have ADHD, they always have trouble in school. They always have trouble focusing. They always have trouble getting tasks done. But I never had any issues with that. I got straight A's in school. I got every task done that I ever needed to get done. So it was always very confusing to me, but I always had the hyperness. I didn't know that I was bipolar until I was 23. So I lived basically a quarter of my life thinking I had ADHD when in reality I was bipolar. And it's very common. 
Oh, wow. It's really interesting that you bring that up because that's also common for boys to be misdiagnosed as ADHD when their symptoms are actually uh, PTSD. So I think that schools, <laughs> they're experiencing all these different, you know, difficult behaviors in children. And they're like, it's ADHD, it's ADHD. And they tell the, the guardians, you have to bring your child to the doctor. They have ADHD. And then I feel like doctors are so quick to you know, medicate the kids, but there are usually underlying things going on, you know, such as the bipolar PTSD. So, well, I'm glad you finally got an accurate diagnosis, but I'm sorry that it, it took so long. And that is the case a lot of the time with these different mental health conditions. Um, so I know you mentioned the hyperactivity and the psychosis, the long panic attack. Where, did you grow up now that you can look back on it? Did you experience any other symptoms now that you can pinpoint and say, oh yeah, I think that was actually the bipolar as well? Yeah. I mean, I had a boyfriend for three years that, I mean, he wasn't bad, but we had a lot of ups and downs. I had a lot of mania with him and we were fine, but I don't know, we were kind of toxic. So I remember we just had really bad fights and I would just lose, lose my head and I didn't know why I would just get so angry and just kind of freak out. So no, I mean, I think I was 21, 22 when we started dating. No, I noticed issues. I just never knew what was really wrong with me. So I thought, I don't know, it was just a normal reaction. But no, I guess I was bipolar and uh, it just didn't really come about until a few years later. Right, right. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, unless they're seeing a doctor regularly or seeing a therapist regularly or, or somebody points it out to them, a lot of people don't know that they are actually struggling with their mental health, which is why I'm so glad you're here today to talk about it, because I think that this conversation will help a lot of people that are maybe feeling the same way that you were at that time. At that point where you were having that psychosis issue, you were in the hospital, you said for a few months, can you walk us through what that process was like from having your symptoms, that panic attack, to being in the hospital, and then what happened when you left? So a little bit of backstory. The boyfriend I was with, we were like gung-ho on me joining the Navy because he wanted to he wanted me to make a lot of money if he wanted to marry me. It's a whole story. But so when you're an officer in the Navy, you make a lot of money. So I was going to go to OCS and which is officer candidate school. Like I said, it was a lot of ups and downs. So we had broken up like right before I left for OCS. I think he thought that I wasn't going to go anymore, but we were chatting and I was like, no, I'm leaving for OCS in like a week. And he was like, oh, wow. So, I mean, he wanted to get back together and I went to visit him in Chicago. And when I was in Chicago was when I did acid and I had like a 12 to 14 hour agonizing acid trip. It was really bad, but I came off of it and I was fine relatively fine for a few days and then when I got to OCS I mean it just started going downhill from there I was afraid to shower I was seeing things I was in a heightened panic state uh, I was there for 10 days I scared my roommates because I was like talking about suicide so I was put on suicide watch but the interesting thing about OCS is that it's not like boot camp where you like have you don't have a choice. You have a choice. So you can request a DOR, which means drop on request. So I did that. And I don't really remember how I did. I just mustered up enough strength to do it and just tell an officer I wanted a DOR. 
Then after that, my mom flew out to come and get me. My grandma did. We flew back to San Diego. Interesting fact about my mom, that's never happened before. She was the only parent that had ever been allowed to come to that base during training to to pick me up, basically, and take me to a hotel and drive me back on every day so I could muster and check in. When we got home, everything just kind of got worse. I was still hallucinating, but it was I was derealizing at that time. So derealization means you're disconnected from reality, but it's it's kind of like a fuzzy dream. So you're still aware enough to discern reality from like a panic state. Uh, so I was just kind of going in and out of that at that time. And my boyfriend came to visit because my mom, she realized that whenever I spoke to him, I was uh, a little bit more aware and different. So he came to visit and then we went to a restaurant. And then on the way to the restaurant, we were sitting in my dad's truck and that the sun was shining down at like a perfect angle. So to me, it kind of felt like I was in heaven because I was seeing the light. So I told my mom, I want to go into the light. And she said, okay, Aaron, go into the light because she thought that it would make things better. And it just made things worse. She said, when I opened my eyes, that I looked like a completely different person. And I'm 99% sure that I was put into a hospital that night, a general hospital. And then the next day, I was put into Balboa Mental Health Mental Hospital. Oh, wow. That that must have been really scary for your mom as well. Yeah, it was very scary uh, for my boyfriend. I freaked him out, my sister, my sister's husband, my grandma, my dad, I, everybody. Um, but it was a different kind of scary for them, uh, obviously. I was also... Uh, repeating things all the time, like, I'm Jake from State Farm, I'm Jesus, and I would go on like a loop. My grandma said that I would break it for a few times, and I said, thank you for taking me to the hospital, thank you for helping me, Uh, and then I would go back on the loop. So I was in the hospital the first time for a few weeks, and then I got out. I don't remember exactly when I got out. So psychosis to me is kind of like It's very similar to TBI because I have some of the same side effects of people who have had a TBI, but I call it a TBE, a traumatic brain experience, because I get really bad headaches. I'm very sensitive to light. I don't have any memory really at all. I don't remember anything before like age 18. So everything I'm saying might not be super accurate, but it's in the book. So the first time I went into the hospital, I was there for, I think, three weeks and I got out, but they had me on certain medication and they lowered it too fast. So I went back into the hospital for another two to three weeks. And then I got out for the last time, October 31st, which was interesting because my mom said that I told the nurses and the staff there, I don't really want to be here on Halloween. It's a scary night. So I guess their goal for me was for me to get out on Halloween. And that's exactly what happened. Okay. Oh, wow. And then, so what happened once you left? I mean, it was just a really, really long road to recovery. So I was on a lot of medication and it made me super sleepy. So I wasn't allowed to drive. So what happened was my grandma, who had come to Rhode Island to help my mother uh, she basically packed up her life and she moved in with my parents and I to help take care of me 
help drive me around, help me um, go to all of my doctor's appointments and everything. She helped me with all of that. And then I was tired all the time. So I would just sleep and I would go to the gym. My grandma and I would go on walks. It took, I think, probably about a year to two years for me to fully recover. I had jobs every now and then, but the fact that I was falling asleep at my desk or I couldn't function really well, I lost a few jobs, unfortunately, because of that. And then about a year after I got out of the hospital, my grandma, she had a hemorrhagic stroke. And when you have a stroke, you can't drive. Basically, a year later, I did the same thing. I moved because I was good enough to do that. I moved to Texas to take care of her for three months because she wasn't allowed to drive. And honestly, I feel like that time was a very, very important time in my recovery because I would be able to focus on sleeping, uh, figuring out my medication, figuring out when to take a nap or when to take an energy drink. I would work out all the time. Grandma and I would cook. But the cool thing is, is that I was also able to visit the rest of my family because everybody in my family, except my mom and my dad and my sister and my dad's dad and my dad's stepmom, everybody else lives in Texas. So I was able to see everybody else a lot more. So able to build stronger bonds with my family. I also built really strong bonds with my grandma and her group of girlfriends. I called them my girls. <laughs> uh, we went on trips together. They helped me learn to like communicate because for a very, very long time when I got out of the hospital, I did not want to talk to anybody. I was not talkative, which is weird because, you know, talking my ear off right now and I've been on a few other podcasts. So it's just interesting to see the really big switch from I don't want to talk to you at all. I don't know what to say to be able to hold conversations again. Living in Texas for three months was a very, very important part of my recovery. And then when I got back from Texas, I got a job at General Atomics, which is, it's a contract company for the military. So they build like Reaper drones and everything. So I got a job there. My dad helped me get a job there. And I worked there for like nine months. It was during COVID part of it. And my husband also deployed. So it was a very weird time. And the job was very, very mundane. I would literally just sit at a computer and scan disks. So I would just put like a file on a disk and transfer it from a computer to a computer. And at this time, I had a bachelor's degree. So it was just very mundane and very hard for me. And I didn't like my job. And then when everybody besides me were able to work from home, it just got worse. So I ended up actually having two panic attacks one night and then another the next morning. Because of that, my doctor, no, the doctors I saw at the hospital, they were like, you need to get a different job. And I said, I'm trying, but I can't. But after the second panic attack, I decided, okay, I'm going to be put on medical leave. And then after the month medical leave, I just quit. And I had like a few jobs here and there. And ever since then, honestly, it's actually been really hard to find work. That's kind of why I wrote this book, because I'm hoping that this book might turn into a career for me. That would be really great. And yeah, I think that you bring up a good point. 
with different mental health struggles or even physical struggles, being on different medications that give you side effects and whether you can't drive or you're tired all the time, it could be really hard to work full time. It was very, very hard to juggle everything. And a lot of jobs aren't so forgiving either. They should be with different mental health or physical struggles, but a lot of jobs aren't as forgiving and will fire you for different things like you mentioned, you know, falling asleep at your desk and things like that. So I think that you bring up a really good point that on top of trying to heal with your mental health struggles and your different diagnoses, trying to hold down a full-time job, I mean, that's so hard for people. Yeah, I mean, that was a very big struggle. And honestly, I still struggle with it because you can't tell an employer um, there's a bunch of gaps in my resume or uh, I couldn't keep a job because I was in the hospital because, you know, there's so many people that don't even know about psychosis. And I've missed out on friendships and relationships because I told people too soon. So I'm not going to go into an interview and say, oh, I haven't had a job or I haven't been able to keep a job because <laughs> it's out of my control. Uh, I mean, I can't control how my brain is affected by what happened. And I can't really explain it because they'll be like, okay, well, I don't want to risk hiring somebody who might go back into this weird state and be out of work for three months. So it's just, it's, it's been a struggle. Oh, that really is a struggle. And I'm, I'm so glad that you had your family to support you. It sounds like they were so helpful and so supportive. But can you explain, I know you mentioned you lost some friends over your different mental health diagnoses and your struggles. Can you explain how your mental health impacted the relationships in your life? My mental health affects my friendships because I, I just realized I read a book. I don't remember what it's called. I think anxiety attachment styles or attachment style workbook I think that's what it's called and I've realized I have a very anxious attachment style uh, I don't know exactly where it came from but it's in relationships not just intimate ones but also friendships so I have fear of abandonment so sometimes that can come about negatively when you might be wanting too much attention or wanting a certain amount of friendship that the other person's not willing to give you. So it's just, I think my anxious attachment style can make me have expectations of friendships that can't be met. I mean, it's just, in my opinion, it's very hard right now, even in like a social media age to make lasting friendships because people can be super judgmental or even in friendships, people can focus on looks instead of what somebody can bring to the table. And I know that sucks to say, but it's it's honest. And I mean, I used to be that way as well. I used to be like, oh, I want to have an attractive friend because my boyfriend might be like, oh, do you have any friends for my friends? But that's not what we should be focusing on. Definitely. And I like how you brought up your attachment style too, because um, I think it's really helpful to be aware of one's own attachment style and how that impacts the different relationships. So I'm hoping that the people in your life, your friends were able to be supportive. Do you have any tips at all for people that are friends or have a loved one that is struggling with their mental health? Uh, I think that you need to not be afraid to talk to people. Uh, one thing I'm going to be attempting to do if I do gain a large following is 
to shed light on men's mental health because men's mental health is so very misunderstood. Uh, suicide in men is actually two times higher than it is in women because men are taught to just get over it, be a man, don't cry, uh, you can't talk about your feelings, all that stuff. I guess I would tell people you need to be okay with talking about your feelings and it's okay to not be okay. Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And now I know you mentioned that now you're able to self-regulate and you're able to handle your mood swings better. Are you able to share how you're able to do that and what techniques or skills have helped you? Well, so everybody's different. I'm definitely different. I think I'm special because like I touched on earlier about my ADHD, like how I'm not ADHD because I'm very goal driven. So when I was young, I never wanted to be reliant on medication. So I've always been driven to be able to regulate myself. When I was on medication, uh, I was numb to my feelings 100%. And it was really, really bad because there would be so many things that I would be dealing with a situation here with, oh, we don't have any money, or uh, something bad happened at work, but I wouldn't know what I was feeling because I was on a mood stabilizer. And I think the mood stabilizer worked a little too well. So I wouldn't know when something was really affecting me and I wouldn't work through it. But now I'm off that mood stabilizer and now I let myself feel. So, I mean, I cried a few times the other day and I hadn't cried in a really, in like a month. So it's just different for me because now that I let myself feel, I can regulate my emotions because I know how I'm feeling, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it really does make sense. And when it comes to your mood swings, do you have any triggers at all that let you know that a mood swing is coming on at all? Not anger. I've only noticed when a lot of anxiety. So my heart starts being really fast. Uh, my head can feel cloudy. Um, I can get headaches. I don't actually get very angry anymore, actually, which is very, very nice. I only experience sadness or I'm very, very anxious. Actually, I think that's an underlying reason for my bipolar because, I mean, all your emotions can affect the other. So I'm actually on as-needed anxiety medication and I take as-needed sleeping pills because I, ever since I got out of psychosis, I have had a horrible trouble sleeping. Uh, there's days that I don't sleep at all until like 4am. Sleep is very, very important for your mental health. If you're not sleeping, then you're not going to be in a right headspace. When I was in psychosis, I think I went almost a month without sleeping. And I know that sounds crazy, but if I was quote unquote resting, my brain wasn't really shut off. I was having kind of like a movie night in my head. It kind of scares me when I'm when I don't sleep. So I'm really happy that I have that sleeping, the sleeping pills for if I need it from my doctor. But that anxiety, that as needed anxiety medication is a lifesaver because I can feel myself get anxious. And she told me, if you know you're going to be in a situation that makes you anxious, just go ahead and take your pills and uh, they'll kick in about a half hour. So it's really nice. Oh, okay, great. That is nice. And are you in therapy at all? Or have you continued to go to therapy in any way? I'm not in therapy at the moment, because I don't have any money <laughs> to go. But I'm starting a new job actually in 
five days and I'm going to get back into therapy because I really need to talk to a therapist. It's not like I'm not doing well and not doing good by myself, but therapy is very, very important in my opinion. And there's always ways where you can learn how to better yourself and better yourself mentally. Um, But I do see, uh, I think it's, my psychiatrist. So there's a psychiatrist, which is a person that gives you your medication. So I see my psychiatrist, but I don't see my psychologist at the moment. I had to pick and choose. I said, "Mm, I really want to see a therapist, but my therapist isn't going to make sure I have the medication that's going to help me. Right. And it's unfortunate that you had to make that decision. I think that mental health services need to be more widely available and more accessible, which is a part of why I have this podcast with I have, you know, people like you sharing your stories um, to inspire people and give them hope and give them tips and advice. And I also interview professionals in the field of mental health and wellness because mental health services are not as accessible as they need to be. Yeah, unfortunately, in the US, there are a lot more accessible resources in other countries, unfortunately. I mean, I'm not saying that the United States is bad, but we can definitely take uh, some lessons from some other countries in certain areas. Definitely. Yes, I fully agree. Erin, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Just for us to close our conversation What advice do you have for those struggling with their mental health, either tips or advice that you can give somebody? Well, like I said earlier, uh, you just have to remember that it's okay to not be okay. Personally, in my journey, I've noticed that it's good to have a doctor that listens to you because there can be so many doctors that you speak to and they preach Uh, you have to take this medication or you have to do this and you have to do that. But you know yourself the best. So if you have a doctor that you don't feel like is listening to you or not respecting your wishes, then personally, I would try and find a different doctor because like I said, only you know you the best. In order to recover or live a life of recovery, then you always have to put yourself first no matter what. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for that. I fully agree. And can you tell everyone where they can find you and your book? Right now, it's on Amazon and on Barnes & Noble. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. The best way to follow all my socials is just to find my Facebook page. It's just my name, Erin Wall. And then there's the names to my Instagram and my TikTok on that page. All right, perfect. And everyone, I am going to put all the links where you can find Erin in the show notes. So definitely go check her out and check out her book. Erin, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story with us today. Thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. Erin, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your mental health journey with us. If you liked today's episode, please share it and tag me on social media at The Wellness Project with Des. You can tag me on Instagram. And if you're not already, make sure you're a part of my Facebook community. That is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash according to Des. I am in there regularly and on my Instagram with more mental health content. So make sure you are following me on both of those. And if you're not already, make sure that you get on my email list. I have made the decision that in 2023 for my fourth season of my podcast, I am going to be doing bi-weekly episodes. I know that I mentioned that I was going to do that this year in one of my podcast episodes or a few of them and I did have a few months where I was every other week but because I have so much that I want to share and so many amazing guests that I have the opportunity to interview, 
I kept going back to doing weekly episodes because when I do bi-weekly, it does push those interviews out quite a bit. So because of that, I strongly encourage you to get on my email list because I'll be sending out weekly newsletters and that's going to include blogs and products that I'm going to be putting out and workshops and courses and events in my Facebook group. So if you're not already, definitely get on my email list and I'm going to put that link in the show notes. And when you sign up for my email list, you're going to be getting your free weekly wellness checklist. So you sign up for the weekly wellness checklist and then you are automatically put on my email list and you will be getting weekly content from me. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for being an avid listener of my podcast. Thank you so much for being here for these three seasons. We're soon going into the fourth season and I have so many incredible guests coming up in the next season for you to hear. Erin was my last interview of the third season of 2022. Next week, I'm going to have a solo episode all about the winter blues And then the following two weeks, I will not be posting episodes due to the holidays. So I will talk to you next week with my last episode of the season. See you then.